Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again. We are live here at the Coliseum for another edition of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Or in this case, Rick and Nick Talk Sports. It's like we're back in the 30s or the 20s even. I thought it would just seem appropriate. It would be. I was kind of tapping into a little Howard Cosell, if you will. If it was Cosell, then we're talking even seventies, <laughs> sixties. Yeah, that. Although that sounded that sounded very old time, Dave. Very very old time. Kind of like what you would hear early on in the the twentieth century with a baseball game, sort of. It's of, the roar of the crowd that makes it whole work. It all just pops. Yeah, and that older sound. That you had going on there, that older play-by-play kind of sound there, which <laughs> I've heard a time or two with working on my own craft, what I do away from this podcast. <laughs> hey, it's, it's to be fun, right? It's to be having a good time. That's right. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Howard Cosell. Mr. Cosell, it's great to have you here. <laughs> so nice what, to be here, sir. So what was it like seeing Frazier go down? Huh. Well... I can go way back to when I saw Goliath fall from that slingshot from David. I mean, I go that far back. It was amazing. You know, Howard, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if you would try to say that you were there when David took Goliath down. I would not be surprised. You know, sports writer from the Star Trip, Sid Hartman, is a lot like Howard Cosell. He's <laughs> everywhere. He's been in every situation. I was in that building when that happened. Oh, I was totally there. He's that guy. And he'll tell you about it, right? Oh, in great long detail. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, and we're glad to have them aboard as a sponsor of the podcast and of all of the chatter that we do that's movie-related. They have $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. If you try to go on a Tuesday, be aware, especially if it's a new movie, there's a good chance it'll be sold out. I learned that lesson the hard way a couple of weeks ago when I tried to go oh, with about 10 minutes to go until movie time. Not good for going to see the premiere of Creed. So I had to wait another day to go and see it. But $5 movie nights on Tuesdays are awesome. The Bemidji Theater is located across the street from the airport on Highway 2. Best strategy for $5 Tuesdays when you get out of work or whatever, go in, get your tickets for the 7 or 9 o'clock show, then go get your dinner, then go back, and that usually works out pretty well for you. Now, one of the benefits for you and I in that regard, Dave, is that we live in or around town. So that's helpful for us. For some who are maybe a little bit further out, a little bit different, unless they work in town and are, are able to come back in. But that's just one caveat. For $5 Tuesdays, you make it work. You make it work. That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, as uh, our as Mr. Cosell's intro today to the podcast would tell you, Today we are talking about sports and sports in the movies, something that we teased a little bit in the last edition of the podcast, so we're going to get into that today at length. Really quick before the start, anything in the current movie realm, Dave, that has caught your eye here as of late? Anything interesting or any of the movies that are in that are interesting? 
Um, you know, it's one of those ongoing sagas. We've talked about it before. We won't really have to get too much into it, but the whole Disney Fox merger is still moving forward. Uh, including we talked about it before, uh, once upon a Deadpool, which is the re-edited Deadpool two down to a PG 13. They filmed new scenes with Fred Savage parale- uh, paralleling a print, the princess bride where, you know, Deadpool yes. is reading to him in bed, but you know, Fred Savage is duct taped down to the bed. So this is something Disney's going to be watching real close and seeing if this is can get a response. But at the same time, there is an audience out there, a very sizable audience that doesn't want necessarily a PG-13 version of everything, you know. How are you going to do a PG-13 alien movie that's going to be worth anything, you know? Die Hard was a Fox movie when you know some of the PG-13s aren't going to work. So this is going to be a big concern with fans, and this is going to take place in early 2019 that Fox will officially be taken over by Disney and wait and see. So Yeah, it's it's continuing to move along slowly but surely with this this merger, and people are still not necessarily certain of what this is going to mean in in the long run or it's what it's going to mean a lot. Yeah, yeah, what it's going to entail. It, it could mean a lot in the end, and it probably will mean a lot in the end. How much is still yet to be determined. Well, the talk right now is that the new X-Men Dark Phoenix movie, when it comes out, will be the first movie released under the Disney Fox banner, however you want to describe it. That's the talk anyway. Um, so we'll see. You know, Is Disney going to be tied to harder-edged fare? You look at the film library of what exists with 20th Century Fox, there could go a whole lot of franchises that'll never again see the light of day unless they, you know, take a role or if they sell the franchise to Paramount or Universal or something. But why would Disney get rid of a property that could make money? But that's the catch twenty two. You're never gonna make another one and you're never gonna make it the way it needs to be made, so you're stuck. The other thing that has been happening in the movies since we last talked, and this was before Thanksgiving when we last talked, Thanksgiving and its extended weekend was huge. Oh, yeah. Like, best of all time huge in terms of the amount of money that came in. Wreck-It Ralph not only broke the internet, but also broke some box office records, helped contribute to breaking box office records that weekend. Creed 2 was really big as well. More on that in a little bit. I still haven't seen it, but we're going to get to it. Yeah, super, super movie. Um, I'll, I'll get into that more here at length um, briefly with our sports talk. Uh, the Grinch was in as well, so that, that drew a lot of people in. A lo- there were certainly a, a, a group of people who wanted to go see Bohemian Rhapsody. Big Queen fans were, were out to see Bohemian Rhapsody in force. Um, so all of that kind of added up to... A really, really big weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, which was super and and really has kind of kicked things off here going into December. We've got some big movies that are that are on the way here this month. Aquaman is is coming up here soon. How will that do for DC? Is that going to pull in some good reviews? How about this, Dave? I'm I'm hearing early buzz that Bumblebee might be the best Transformers movie since the original. And that's not to say that it's the best of a really bad lot of movies, which it's been a bad group of movies since that original Transformers. But apparently, it's getting a lot of really good reviews in terms of a good amount of action and a good amount of nostalgia that's in there too, some 80s-esque nostalgia that's in there. I'm hearing a very polarized early response i'm hearing that while the reviews are starting to come out that they're looking pretty good the apathy for this franchise it may be a great movie that gets delivered to crickets you know there's a lot of people that are 
I'm, I don't need to see another Transformers movie, let alone a spinoff movie. The, right. the Solo movie was a good movie, but a lot of people didn't go see it. So it might be something similar, and it might be a message going to... And then again, maybe it won't. We'll have to wait and see what ultimately happens. Trying to predict what the audience is going to do. If you can figure that one out, heh, bottle that formula, because nobody can really figure out what's going to happen. Yeah, we're also on the brink of award season. That was the other thing I've taken notice of. Golden Globe nom- nominations have come out. They are not always a pathway to an Oscar nomination, but if you do pretty decent with the Globes, you've got a good chance to be in the running for the Oscars. And there was a wide, sweeping number of movies that were in the mix for the Golden Globes in terms of number of nominations. No clear-cut pathway in terms of who is a favorite moving forward for the Oscar race in a couple of months we're going to have to kind of wait and see. To say nothing about the Oscar host buzz controversy. Yes. That's a whole other thing. But one other, back to Disney real quick, something just occurred to me. Um, if you are a Netflix fan and like to watch a lot of the streaming shows, a lot of your favorite maybe Marvel shows have been disappearing from Mar- from Netflix because Disney now owns you know Marvel and owns Fox. They are getting ready to launch their own streaming service. Right. And so will these shows like Luke Cage and others, will they come back? And on the Disney streaming service, or are they pretty much going to be done? So those shows and pretty much anything associated with Disney is now starting to disappear piece by piece from other streaming services like Netflix. And, you know, when they launch their Disney streaming, whatever they're going to call it, Disney Live, whatever, that might show up there perhaps. Yeah, I'm still really curious how well that is going to pull people in who are already investing their money in Netflix, Hulu, Streaming services like that, Amazon Prime, will they invest in another one? Well, that's or will they not? But that's the other issue is that you know, like we're circling around here again. But is Disney? They're going to own Fox. They're going to own all this stuff. They're going to roughly own forty percent of media content being released, whether it's on the big screen or the small screen. And now they're going to launch their own streaming service. That's a huge slice of the market space. Is this something that could eventually be looked at at? A monopoly. Now, this goes before your time. Go to the phone industry. AT&T, when I was a teeny little kid, they had to break that company up. Yes. So it was a monopoly because it just became too much. Could we be getting to that point where Disney is going to bite off more than it could chew and be broken up? I mean, no one's really talking about it, but wait till the impact starts to be felt. Is that going to be enough that it's going to, A, hurt other companies to the point where they're going to go out of business and Disney will buy them up? You know, who knows? Yeah. Look at the long game. Well, nobody's talking about it, so you say, and yet here you are talking about it, initiating the conversation. I'm looking down the road. But but this may be something that other people are considering as well, and maybe, Dave, should be considering. And maybe this should be getting talked about more, because I do look at this with a really big eyebrow raised. Oh, me too. Disney... This is going pretty far. What what you're doing here and the lengths you're going to. So and and I think deservedly this should be looked at under the microscope. You know, and the only other thing I've got an issue with them is if a company becomes so big, it's almost like congratulations. If you have to be broken up as a monopoly, congratulations, you've kind of reached the end game, and now you get broken up and start again. Right. But the other thing is Disney has got a particular flavor to it, which is fine. I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking the holiday movies they show on the Hallmark Channel. They're sugary sweet. But there's an audience for that. So if Hallmark bought everything and everything was going to be Hallmarkized, if that's a word, 
I don't want everything hallmarked. I want to go to right. the Hallmark Channel. I want to go to the Disney Channel and find what I'm looking for. I don't want to go to every channel and find that Hallmark and Disney, that flavor is spilled out everywhere. You're getting that cookie-cutter movie, which really the pun works for Hallmark in particular because, yeah, those are cookie-cutter movies about Christmas cookie movies and, and other things like that. And not even that. I mean, think of Die Hard, for example, since we're getting to Christmas spirit. Are they going to drop Hans Gruber from the top of the Nakatomi Plaza if Fox was owned by Disney in 1988? No, you're not going to get that scene or many other great scenes that are in that movie because it would be Disneyified. Right. And that is, for lack of a better term, censorship. I don't want that. I, you know, It's not that you want to necessarily promote death and violence and blah, blah, blah. But there's an audience for that, and there's something to be said about that. Right. You know, it needs to be out there, and if this is the start of that going away, there's going to be some sort of a revolt. Yeah, how well Fox is going to manage its own arm under Disney is obviously one of the biggest questions that is going to come from this merger as it continues, and one of the biggest things to keep an eye on. And and really, in terms of creativity and what you make, it's a big question. So we're, we're going to have to continue to wait and see, which is a very frustrating place for many moviegoers to be who have seen these movies over the years and, are, and expect a certain, a, certain kind of, a, a certain kind of identity with these movies as well. All right, let's get into today's topic. And, and I, I brought this topic up a couple of weeks ago as our idea for this particular episode because of my plans to go see Creed 2, which was a very good sequel to Creed from a couple of years ago, which was a spinoff of the Rocky series, which fits under our sports umbrella. It, Creed 2 was a very, very good sequel, really worthy sequel and successor to the first one. I thought the first Creed movie was as good as any movie in the Rocky series. Like you could put it right up there against the original Rocky, against some of the others from from the series in terms of how good it was, how well written it was, and how well filmed it was. Creed two didn't quite touch those heights. I mean, it's hard to follow up Ryan Coogler who directed the last one, but they did a really nice job of following it up and. Bringing some depth to the Drago story, going back to Rocky Four with Ivan Drago, who fights Rocky in that one. And remember, we get into spoiler alerts on this podcast. That's true. Here's one right here. Go ahead and give it to me. Apollo Creed dies in Rocky Four. <gasps> yes, yes, I know. B- believe it or not, but he dies at the hands of Ivan Drago, and then, but then Drago loses at the end of Rocky Four, and. He not only lost the fight, he lost in a lot more ways than one, which the movie gets into in Creed 2. And you actually become very sympathetic for Ivan, as well as for his son Victor, and, and their side of the story, which it, which I kind of knew was coming, coming in, and yet I was still really surprised at how sympathetic you do become for them. Post-Soviet Union, and also with, with them very personally, how they were impacted by that loss for the rest of their lives. So it it's a good movie. And then, of course, yes, you do have the Adonis Creed side of it and, and just the continuation of his story um, and, and some of the different challenges he faces now in this follow-up. But really, really good sports movie. And the Creed, uh, Creed itself was a really terrific sports movie in terms of the way it was filmed. And that's one of the places that is worth starting at when it comes to sports movies, Dave, because... 
as far back as sports movies go, yeah, and and sports movies, one of the very first movies ever Thomas Edison filmed it was a horse galloping in a race. So technically, the first movie ever made was a sports movie. There you, you go. If you want to get technical, if you really want to go back there, yes. One of the challenges that that sports movies have always experienced, whether it's going all the way back to the 1930s or the present day, is how do you film it, especially when you film game action, which is why sports movies are so often categorized as dramas because there's a lot that happens away from the competition itself that you get in a sports film, and it's most often related to drama. You know, let's open it up a little more, not just Creed, but also Rocky. That's a great spot to start. Rocky, arguably one of the greatest sports movies ever. It was one of the few sports movies that won Best Picture, 1976, when it came out. You know, the first two Rocky movies were very, they're all with heart. you got to say they're all with heart, every single one of them. It's because Rocky fights with heart. Rocky fights with heart, that's his secret weapon. But he also, every movie is about something, whether it was done well or not so well. They're all about something and I will give credit that while the Rocky sequels may have eventually become more of a cash grab they never fully sunk down well let's just do another one to do another one they had something to say yes and you got to give them credit even Rocky 5 which is uh, the worst of the bunch no. worst of the bunch D- Dave I I how do you find something redeemable out of a movie that bad the first four were so good in different ways. Rocky Four reinvented things in a big way oh, in that yeah. series and then Rocky 5 was Awful. That I, I pre said worst of the bunch by far. I own all the Rocky movies except for <gasps> Rocky Five. Go figure. Not a coincidence. But the, you can break up the Rocky movies in the first two. Rocky One, Rocky Two. They are very gritty. They're very earthy. They're very based in reality, which I love because they're filmed in Philadelphia. Yeah, I and bet you, you get, would. You get. Grassroots Philly. Whose backyard? Movies. Yeah. There's my house. And then you get to Rocky Three, where it gets to be a little big and overbloated, but that was kind of the message of the movie. Here's the heavyweight champion who's lost his hunger. He's lost that eye of the tiger. So the movie reflected that in a way. Yes. You know, and so it worked. Rocky Four, I mean, you start pulling in politics with the Cold War going on, which was at its height in eighty five in a lot of ways. You start pulling in a synthesizer with the music. I know. There goes Bill Conti's score. Now you bring in uh, Vince DiCola, I think, did the score for that one. And Hearts on Fire, then, for the training montage, which is one of the greatest yeah. training montages ever. To this day, you cannot go into a weight room without it being on somebody's soundtrack somewhere. It's going to pop up. And it's to the point where I think uh, Hearts on Fire from the Rocky Four soundtrack is one of the best mo- songs of the 1980s, because the sound is so 80s, plus it ties into a big movie of the 80s, plus that movie ties into the Cold War of the 80s. It one song, if you were, I never lived through the 80s, explain it to me. Just listen to this one song. Drago! Drago! Yep. The whole, everything is awesome. So Rocky is a, is a franchise is one of the best. And until you get to Rocky Five, you can't go wrong. Even Rocky Six, Rocky Balboa, that Brought it back in it a lot did. of ways. And, and they weren't afraid to kill off characters. You know, you look at some of these larger movies where you have all the ensemble cast. They all have to come back for all these movies, even if their characters have nothing to do. They're, why are they back? Rocky had no problem in killing characters off to advance the plot and the which, story. Which is why it's been so compelling with Rocky Balboa, where you first see Rocky without Adrian. Yeah. And then you get into Creed, and... No more Adrian, no more Paulie, 
and you really start to see Rocky in a post-boxing life and how losing those closest to him has changed him. And then, and then in comes Donnie, and he becomes like a son, or in this case, like a nephew, because Donnie even calls Rocky Unk. Yeah. Is what he calls him. So they and and their relationship is one of the best parts of Creed. Watching Rocky interacting with the son of his be, one of his best friends, Apollo Creed, and and interacting with him and training him and and offering him advice. It's it's just such a great movie on on that angle of it too. The human element is always so present in the Rocky movies and really represents what some of the best sports movies are about too is the human element that comes with sports. Why are we so attached to sports? There there's a real there's a human element and yet there's also this um this platform that they're on as well on, on this grand stage and what it produces is great drama and great drama that can be told on the movie screen although it's hard to do sometimes filming sports movies is challenging especially when you are filming game action and trying to to show that one of the earliest sports movies that i thought of when preparing for this podcast was pride of the yankees from the 1930s with gary cooper they had uh, babe ruth in that movie as well with talking about lou gehrig it is actually i think it might have been from the 40s that's that's one of the earliest sports movies that i can recall and they only had little snippets in there for the sports action to kind of reflect that they they did a lot more of the away from the game stuff, and yet it revolved around the game. Those those particular elements in that movie when telling Lou Gehrig's life story. Some of it is interesting the way they'll do it. Sometimes um, they'll make, if you're, for example, let's say you're doing a baseball movie. They've done it a lot of different ways. I remember when the Red Sox won their first World Series in like 100 years, and all of a sudden, is that Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon running onto the field? What? Well, it turns out they were filming Fever Pitch, and they'd worked it out so that they could come onto the field. So they filmed it for real when they won the World Series. The movie, I guess, was going to end one way, and then the real life was going another way, so they changed the end of the movie to work with what was really going on. Yeah. So and that worked that way. When you've got those teams like, say, Major League, where the team is a really bad team that turns out to end the end of the movie be really good, they tend to film those movies in reverse because when they open up an open casting call, come down to the stadium and be in a movie, wow, everyone wants to go for that first day. That's when you film the championship game because that's, that's right. when everyone's there. When you're doing, well, this is the you know the 25th day of filming and it's you know, Tuesday afternoon. Those are the early games of the show when there's like 12 people in the stands because well, I can't. I was there last week. Yeah, yeah because getting extras is tough, but if you can put it in conjunction with an actual sporting event, oh yeah, it really helps. I was in the crowd scenes of Little Big League, which was around the Minnesota Twins. They filmed yes. it at the Metrodome. They got a decent amount of people, but there was only enough to like fill a section at a time. So they would have everybody move like a pie slice to a particular point where the camera would have them in the background. And they needed to shoot the third baseman. Okay, everyone from behind home plate, you're moving over to third base now. And this is a, you know, and that's how they would do it. It looked like it was a full stadium when it was only a really full section and a ghost empty rest of the building. So there's a lot of tricky ways you can do it. But also filming the action scenes, there's a lot of times where they'll have, say, Kevin Costner run out onto the mound at Yankee Stadium during For the Love of the Game. During in-between innings, they would kind of work it out with Major League Baseball. They could have longer in-between innings, and he would stand there and film a scene or two. Cut, okay, then the actual game commences, and next inning break, out comes Costner again, and do it that way. 
Speaking of pride of the Yankees and speaking of Little Big League, is there any sport that has gotten more movies done about it than baseball? And, I don't and think I, so. I don't think so either. And I think it's because partially of it, it's easier to film with the way that the game plays out. But but baseball brings with it its own its own brand of drama. Think about this in terms of some of the best sports movies of all time. You've got a movie like The Natural. You've got Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, which which always gets it's a sports about. movie yeah. absolutely a league of their own you know those are all 80s 90s and yet they're up there among the best of all time and and then you get major league in there as well if you want to go further back the bad news bears you know baseball is such a common one the sandlot is a classic baseball is such a common one when it comes to sports movies and i think it's because it's an easier one to film baseball boxing which we talked about with rocky and yet um, there's also Raging Bull, there's The Fighter, Cinderella Man. You've got all these different movies that are boxing-related, Million Dollar Baby. Movies that are somewhat easier to film, You can uh, uh, sports, sports themselves that are easier to film, they get a lot of movies that are based around them, and these are also movies that produce quite a bit of drama. I think maybe part of it, baseball getting such an, an overshare of the movie business, is because baseball, more than any other sport really focuses on individuals, particularly in an ensemble situation. Um, you know, yes. if, if you're playing second base, you're part of a team, you know, you don't necessarily see the big moment where you're going to stop that grounder if it comes your way. But you will see it with a pitcher. You know, pitcher, when he's pitching, he's part of a team, but he's really kind of an individual on that mound to the point where if he's in the zone, other players leave him alone because they don't want – he'll sit on the bench alone. When you're hitting – you are an individual at this point. Now, yeah, you might hit it into sacrifice mode if you're trying to get the runner over, but really it's an individual moment. You can focus on those. It's so you can pull the individual story that's going on off the field or off the court or off the rink. You can do that, and then you can keep it in an individual level when you are doing your individual thing on the field. You know, It doesn't necessarily work the same with hockey. As much as I love, say, Miracle – the only real individual that really pokes out of that is, you know, Coach Herb Brooks with Kurt Russell. All the players, they did great jobs, but they it's not about the individual story. It's about the team. And a story like that, Miracle works exceptionally well. And I think that's why baseball, maybe not it consciously works that way, but it certainly does work that way. I think that's a really good point, Dave, because, yeah, you get those individual stories within the larger group story like you could focus in on a closer like wild thing and his particular story amidst all the other players and what they've got going on there too part of it is watching the game i like listening to baseball on the radio more than any other sport because if you're not seeing hockey you're missing it you know as much as i like hockey and i'll listen to a few games on the radio um it's hard to follow exactly what's going on you can tell when things are going the right way because if you're at home the crowd starts to get oh, 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 you know things are going right if it's in the visiting arena you know something's about to go wrong you know but baseball you can follow it very clearly even without being able to see it so being able to pull out the individual elements like this is easier from a storytelling perspective rather than say if it's a football movie you get a shot of the quarterback dropping back okay that's that's all he gets you yeah know? now the wide receiver is breaking out oh that's all you get here comes that big blocker that gets taken out that's all you get individual efforts with baseball you get to see it kind of all the way through and it just it works better from a dramatic 
storytelling standpoint. And that's what you were kind of getting to before. There's a story that's going to be told tonight on the field. What story will it be? I don't know. But you can see it happening on an individual level with baseball more so than anything else. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just across from the airport, the Bemidji Airport. Great place to go catch a movie, especially on $5 Movie Tuesday. Let me jump in and share a story about the Bemidji Theater that's going to tie in perfectly with what we're talking about. So we just touched base on the movie Miracle, the hockey movie about the 1980 Olympic uh, hockey semifinal game, Team USA beating the Team Soviets in the semifinal match. And that movie is a great movie. And it is. done by Disney. We'll give props where yes. props is due. But that movie was done so well. I went and saw that in the theater at the Bemidji Theater in 05. Is that when it came out? Something 2004. Like 2004. So when the game is going on, when they would score, when Team USA would score in the movie, in the game, the theater crowd was cheering. Because it was like watching an actual game. Yeah. And it, all of a sudden, he shows, he scores! Yes! The whole <laughs> theater just exploded in cheers. And it was like Apollo 13. You know what's going to happen at right. the end. But you're still <laughs> on pins and needles hoping the U.S. is going to beat the Soviets. Well, it's a little different here because there were several of those players who were from Minnesota. So Some you, of them from right here. So you've got, you've got that tie-in that exists there as well. Not only that, this is such a hockey town. It's such a hockey state, the state of hockey. We take our hockey seriously. I don't know if people watching in a theater in, say, Phoenix, Arizona, had the same response, you know. Um, But it it was what it was, and the movie brought you into it. And so that's a good sign of not only what an amazing theater, Bemidji Theater is, to make that seamless transition possible, but the movie was done so well. It wasn't wasn't just about the team. I mean, the opening credits is about how things kind of sucked for the U.S. in the 1970s. Well, there's Three Mile Island. Oh, well, there's Watergate. Uh, Bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. The country needed a A lift, a, a kick in the butt. And they got that immediately in early in early 1980 with the Miracle on Ice, and that was something that pulled not only as a as a as a sports watcher at the time, but as an audience member, it kind of brings you into it too. We need this, yeah. and you're watching the team come together, and you're watching this coach with a stern headmaster vibe about him, who was a Minnesotan also. Plus, it's state pride. There was a lot of things to pull you into it. It was just a well done movie. It's not surprising, Dave, that that there are so many sports movies that come from 1970 to the present. There are so many that are out there because uh, we've talked about the progression of film over time. And as film has changed, filming has changed. And it has made it possible to do some really quality sports movies across all sports, not just baseball, not just boxing. You can get across all sports. I mean, you talked about Miracle, which is a terrifically filmed movie and has such really good set pieces in terms of the games and the shooting of those games in terms of making it seem like it's pretty real when when you're watching it and the flow the choreography the way that they get that all set up is pretty impressive and I mean hockey's a tough one to touch but movies have done that whether it's slap shot or to a lesser extent but an amusing one the mighty ducks in the 90s it's one of those ones that's tougher to film. Same with football. Really tough to film when you get there in the trenches and yet can still produce some great movies if you can build a really good story around it, whether it's fictional or maybe based on a true story like Rudy, for instance, which is a great movie in terms of the drama off the field with Rudy trying to get into Notre Dame. But I love, too, when you get to one of the first 
scenes in the entire movie where there is football being played. And it's when you've got Jerry Goldsmith's music playing, that classic theme, um, as the, as the morning dawn is breaking and Notre Dame is out there and you can see the player's breath in the cold it's morning. It's almost like Patton. Yeah, a little bit like Patton. And, and there they are in the trenches working in practice and getting ready for a game day. And then that just launches the football side of the movie. I'm going to drag us back to a, a bridging of a topic here real quick. We, talk, we started with Rocky. We went to Miracle. Interesting piece of trivia. You and I talked about this off air, but something just to quickly pass along. So the final fight at the end of Rocky Four takes place in Moscow, Russia at some stadium. I know where you're going the, with this. The actual Miracle on Ice game was in Lake Placid, New York, and that's where that's, that arena still stands today. They filmed both of those, the final fight in Rocky Four and the gold medal game movie-wise in the same arena, funny enough, which is in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, it's called the Pengrove um, uh, Arena. Yeah, you told me about this several weeks ago. That's It's pretty cool. The Ar- it's, it's up in Vancouver. forget the name of the arena off the top of my head. But that's where they filmed Rocky IV. That's where they filmed, or the, the fight. That's where they filmed the gold medal game between the Russians and the Americans for a miracle. That little place in Vancouver, funny enough, has been the site of two proxy Cold War battles. And people probably walk in there and completely oblivious to it, too. What would you look, what's it called? The Aerodome or something like that. I'm trying to find it. Whatever, it's it's whatever in there it's somewhere. Called. But that's that's where we're, I'm sure maybe by the end of the podcast we'll we'll have Googled it and looked it up. So, um, so let's switch gears here. While who was tapping around here, I didn't want to pull away from Rudy too much. But we also touched base on something that we'd probably what was it called? The Agrodome. Agrodome. There we yeah. go. I knew it was something like Aerodome. Agrodome. It's up in Vancouver. Interesting. That's right. Interesting little snippet. We got to talk about the baseball trilogy. Have to, you know, even though the movies are unrelated, but Kevin Costner and his baseball trilogy is amongst the most sacred ground of baseball, the first two in particular, of baseball movies. The first, of course, was Bull Durham, came out in 88, followed the next year, Field of Dreams in 89, and then a bunch of years later, I think it was 99, that For the Love of the Game came out. And they're all about baseball. Bull Durham, what an interesting combination. We're going to mix in sex and baseball, and it worked seamlessly. It was a great, great movie. I mean, you could almost feel the hot mug muggy, you know, South Carolina or you know, North Carolina, you know, summer heat, that oppressive air. And Field of Dreams, boy, going down to the Iowa cornfields, it was spectacular. And it really worked. And the, for the love of the game, you could almost smell those hot dogs wafting in from left field at Yankee Stadium. Well, one of the things that I think worked, and in particular about Field of Dreams, was getting to the core of baseball. Yeah. To, to kind of quote the way James Earl Jones said the word in the movie, and the way he said people will come, Ray. Getting to the core of baseball, which is which has just been a part of the American fabric for, for so long. And... I, th- I suppose that's kind of what worked a little bit for Bull Durham was the minor league element of that. And then you get to Field of Dreams, which gets back to how did you first start playing the game? Well, you start out by having these heroes who you looked up to, and now they're coming out of a cornfield. And you started out by playing catch with your dad, starting out with something as simple as that, and building on that for a concept, and then for building a baseball field in the middle of a cornfield. There's something honest about that, pulling in something of my real life here briefly. Uh, baseball was something that connected my dad and me. You know, I would call him on the phone uh, if he lived you know, on, the, on the other side of the state, you know, drivable distance. But we'd, you know, the Twins would be playing, and I'd call him or he'd call me, and we would just talk about whatever, and the game would be on in the background. 
And so now that he's gone, you know, whenever I'm watching baseball, I might feel an urge to pick up the phone and give him a call before I have to, oh, that's, I can't do that, you know, that kind of thing. And so there is something that connects people to that. There's something about that fabric that I wish I could put a finger on it. I can't. You yeah. got to call it that X factor. You can't define it. You're only aware that it's there. And so baseball has that X factor about it. Football has the group side of it too. It's, te- when, it's when technological. Talking, yeah, when talking about the football, when talking about some of the football movies that that come to mind when we talk sports movies, it, there's a group element to that. Think about Remember the Titans, which many rank up there among their favorite yeah. sports movies. What is so compelling about Remember the Titans? The coming together of a very diverse group of people. And and in in this case in a very racially charged setting that they have going on here. Um, with integration happening and a, a football team forced integration happening. right and a football team that is in the midst of all of that but comes together as a group and finds success when doing so so well, that's it's, it's, so a, it's a, great... a true story it's also a microcosm of a larger true story you yeah know, whether you're talking about little rock and the forced integration of school districts and so forth this was a small nucleus story of the of the whole thing being told on a larger canvas, but boiled down to a football team. And if it can work with these guys, why can't it work with all of us? And it's a message that resonates even out of the movie was set in the seventies. It resonates or sixties. It, rev, it rev, I think it was the seventies. Doesn't matter. Resonates beyond even that, and you can find a place for that to exist here and now in the twenty first century. To a different degree, we saw that as well in We Are Marshall, which is a. That's a hard movie for me to watch, just thinking about that tragedy. That is based on a true story of a horrific plane crash that that took away almost the entire Marshall Thundering Herd football team, and then the team had to completely rebuild and start from scratch, and how that process happened. The movie really cuts to the core of the emotional side of of all of that because that was was a, a real serious tragedy when that took place but um really well put together in terms of the movie itself um we just had that minor league canadian team just got wiped out in a bus crash a couple years ago the the moose or whatever i can't remember last year yeah i mean this is unfortunately leonard skinner i mean half of that group got wiped out in a plane crash that stuff like that is something that is reoccurrent it has happened before unfortunately it probably will happen again um, it's nice to find a positive out of tragedies like that, and We Are Marshall is an excellent example. In terms of being based off of maybe some other media and other forms of, of telling a story, Friday Night Lights, bridging the gap between book Texas. and movie. You go from the book, which is one of the great sports books ever written, which delved into the, the culture of high school football, in the middle of Texas, and then you bring it onto the big screen as well. And not only onto the big screen, they also brought it onto the small screen too with television. And Friday Night Lights has been has come to fruition in many different forms of media. And the movie itself was was another one where it took the the team concept, and in this case, in in a football a football rich, football passionate town, football rabid town, and put it out there onto the big screen. And that's something that, you know, has been done before. If you go back to the 80s, All Right Move with Tom Cruise, one of his earlier movies, it's not exactly Friday Night's Light, Friday Night Lights, but you can certainly see the blueprint right there. Everyone is so crazy about things, so football, and are you willing to step out against the program to do what you know is overall right? Basketball has produced a lot of interesting movies, too, when you look at, at the wide swath, and 
one of the most prominent ones, and this is this is one of my all-time favorite sports movies. Actually, it is my all-time favorite sports movie. I was going to save that for later, but since we brought it up, Hoosiers is my all-time favorite. And it's it's a great basketball movie. It's a great high school sports movie as well. And I'll explain a little bit more why it's my favorite later on, but that's that's a prominent one. Coach Carter is another one that comes to mind. If you want to go the comedic route, Space Jam is in there as well, which which combines live action as well as cartoon into a really interesting movie, which has such a cult following that it's getting a sequel now with LeBron James. Yeah, they're working on that. So, and that'd be kind of cool. There's, no, you know, is Space Jam a space a sports movie? Yes, of course it is. It's just a very different kind of sports movie, but yes, it does qualify. Right, like Happy Gilmore. Yeah, that that qualifies as a, as a golf sports movie and it's another one that has gotten a cult following any you, movie where bob barker yeah. is going to beat up a saturday night live alum that is a sports <laughs> movie there's an unwritten yep. it's a small sub law but it's in there yep exactly so it, it's funny how you can and, and that kind of speaks to the wide range of sports movies that you get like you can get some of the drama pieces that we've talked about but you get those those hilarious ones too and the way you can use humor in sports or that you can use being terrible like we we talked earlier about uh, about the nature of of major league when the guys start out and they're they're expected to lose and then they're like hey we're not gonna go out there and lose lose. Yeah. yeah they're hired to lose they're like why don't we just go out there and start winning games so they rebel against the front office and go all the way then well, and the same with another Minnesota passion, the Mighty Ducks, filmed in Minnesota. Yes. Um, this is another great one where it's a whole bunch of these underprivileged kids that every year District 5 does a horrible job. We don't even have a name. We're not the District 5 anybody. We're just District 5. Which, by the way, how well does that speak to some of the hockey culture that exists? They they found some great ways to integrate hockey culture in Minnesota into that movie. The most prominent one, obviously, calling Adam Banks a cake eater. Mm-hmm. What To what are you referring here, Hoof? I <laughs> feel like I've got a I'm lure just, hanging. Dave, Dave, I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> that was not directed at you in any way and where your upbringing is. So what Hoof is delicately trying to explain oh here gosh. is that um, the Hawks... They represent the Hornets. And if you are from Minnesota, you know that the Cake Eater Hornets, that would be Edina. I might have a history in that part of the world. I'm just suggesting the possibility. And I was just suggesting how the movie integrates in drawing up of lines for who you play for and and some of the, the the outdoor element, too, with having practice outdoor in the way that they do. I still remember Gordon Bombay's limo coming up and all the kids are slapping themselves on top of the limo there just trying to, to it's it's get a good attention. i can remember being you know playing in a league just like that you know playing in the when i was a kid uh, the culture is absolutely spot on it's very minnesota not only the landmarks going to eat at mickey's diner which is a, just walking distance from the xl energy center yep. even the north stars make an appearance in that movie before they picked up and moved away it's it's a very minnesota movie it's a very yes. good movie it's very family appropriate um, when my son starts getting into watching movies, he's he's getting there. It'll be on that list. It'll be on the early front end of the list. But my and the first one in particular, you start getting to D two and D three. Eh, you know they're not bad, but they they lost something. D two I kind of like because they go onto the national stage and the international stage, 
but they still bring the Mighty Ducks culture with them, and they bring in some of the new kids too. And it's, it's so that one's it, kind it of, worked. That, that was kind of fun. It worked, but like a lot of times, the sequels lose something that the original brought. Yeah, and that sometimes is the case. But like you know, we, we talked Rocky to start. Some of my favorite Rocky movies are actually number three and four. Maybe the overbloated hype of the mid '80s leaked into those movies and leaked into me, and they just found each other. So I kind of like those better than the Best Picture-winning original Rocky. You know, I even like them better than the Creed movies. Right. They're all good except for five, which we've clearly said. But two, four, three, and four, for whatever reason, they hit me. One other element that I think is worth talking about, Dave, with sports movies is movies that are sports-related, but they are away from the field. And there have been a couple of those here in the last couple of decades that have been really notable. One from back in the 1990s is Jerry Maguire, Mm -hmm. which is into the realm of sports agent work and, and working in that side of things. Much different kind of movie going in in that realm and that route. But it worked really well and produced some lines that are very memorable, too, which many know. And this is also when ESPN Sports Center is at the height of its game, you know. And Sports Center is all over that movie. I mean, it's it's just from one sport to another to another, but I mean, largely football in the case of this movie. That was trend-setting, too, oh, because yeah. you see that in movies today, and that's been one of my favorite elements about about the new Rocky movies is the way that they incorporate in using sports shows like i remember in the first creed they have pti on there talking about how does this tarnish apollo's legacy having an illegitimate son they they talk about that topic on their show there and then they'll incorporate in like some sports center conversation as well on on adonis's upcoming fight with pretty ricky conlin you know and then having hbo doing having like a, a faux hbo broadcast of the match itself like you you get those cool elements jerry Maguire kind of initiated that or was one of the movies that helped initiate that. a little bit it made it look you're not watching game footage the way they'd film a lot of sports movies you're watching it on tv yeah and you brought in rocky rocky started to do that too when they would film those fights they filmed them largely in front of empty people with maybe the first three rows filled but it was dark and foggy you really couldn't see the people and then they got into rocky balboa and they actually filmed it in front of a, before an actual boxing match in front of an actual crowd. Yeah. And not only that, but they filmed it like you're watching it on TV You've rather got the than ringside announcers. Yeah, rather than the dynamic, you know, camera angles where the camera guy is in the ring, they'd film it from you know somewhere high above, like they do an actual boxing match. Which so is a lot a cool of the way, element. yeah, yeah. And me, I'm not saying that Jerry Maguire started that, but you know, most of the football footage is shown on ESPN. One of the more recent movies that gets into the off-the-field stuff, while also incorporating in quite a quite a lot of on-the-field stuff, was Moneyball. Big time. Very, very good movie. Did exceptionally well, box office-wise, as well as critically uh, with that movie. Helps to have Brad Pitt in there as Billy Bean. Based, of course, on the book, based on the true story of the Oakland Athletics and the job that they did to be competitive on a shoestring budget. And... Gets into the front office side of things really creatively. I I own Moneyball. Really enjoy that movie because I'm I'm somebody who's fascinated by the front office workings of of sports and and that movie does it really well. And if you're a mathematician, you're going to love that movie. And you yes. know, that's you know it's one of those movies where it's interesting enough that you don't need to be a sports fan to get into the game. And Moneyball was a good example of that. Um, one of my favorite movies that you don't necessarily need to be a sports fan to enjoy. Is going back to baseball is the Sandlot. Great 
great movie. And that's not just for little kids, even though it's a kid's movie. It's for everybody. Yes. It brings you back to the essence of what it is to A, love baseball, and B, be a kid again. And you don't need to be a kid to enjoy it. It is, it's one of my favorite movies, in fact. One of my wife and I will put it on often. And we'll sit and watch. Yeah, we'll get to favorites here in a little bit yeah. and, and check in on that. But, Dave, I wanted to ask you, too, how do you feel about, about sports movies that bring in an athlete to use their talents within that movie? I'll give you one example. He Got Game with Ray Allen, having mm-hmm. him in the movie there when, when he plays Jesus Shuttlesworth in that movie or having Michael Jordan in Space Jam. How do you like when athletes pop up sometimes in these these sports movies, which occasionally happens here and there, so that but oftentimes is used so that they can get the real effect when when they're playing the game. Sometimes I think it can work. Other times I I you know Michael Jordan is an extremely wooden guy. You know whether it's interviewing the post game after a game or getting him in an interview, or even showing him up on Saturday Night Live. You know he's sitting there with Stuart Smalley. He's just, you know, extremely wooden. He's just saying the Lions, and he's just, you know. But th- that's fine. But then you get a guy that's a great sports athlete like Terry Bradshaw, who's got a personality on him. And not only is he, I don't think he's ever been in a sports movie, but he's shown up. He was with Smokey and the Bandit, or as Matthew McConaughey's dad in Failure to Launch. He's got a personality, and he works. He adds to the scene. If you throw in an athlete that's just there to be an athlete, and you know a name but doesn't really carry much Wayne Gretzky greatest hockey player of all time has never shown up in a movie to my knowledge but he's kind of a wooden guy and there's probably a reason why he doesn't show up in a lot of those movies so for me it's not a selling point you know Shaquille O'Neal when he was new showed up in Blue Chips if you remember that movie with Nick Nolte about a college scandal behind the scenes recruiting program He's such a wooden character anyway. He's got a personality, but it's it, at that point it really wasn't coming across. You know, it just it, it doesn't really work for me unless it works. I have nothing against it, but if it's detrimental and it pulls you out of the story, eh. Yeah, and a lot of athletes pop up in movies that aren't even sports movies anyway, for the most part. That that's usually how it goes. But you do occasionally get one or two who have popped up in sports movies themselves, and they lend their particular talents to that movie. But more often than not, when they are in the movies, they're usually just taking a break from the sports genre. Even if it's just a cameo. Somebody yeah. walks on real quick. Happy Gilmore was an example. They had a couple of well-known golfers that would just make some sort of a mug to the camera in, yeah. in relation to something Or Lee Trevino shaking yeah. his head. Something like that, it works. That's, yeah. a, that's a special prize. You yeah. know, There's nothing wrong with those at all. But if you put them front and center, you better have a reason to put them front and center rather than just have them have an excuse to be on the poster. Before we get to our personal favorites, there's one more category that is really worth talking about when we get into talking about sports movies, and that is sports documentaries, Mm -hmm. which a lot of what we've talked about here has been related to fiction or based on true stories. Sports documentaries, though, I think are worth spotlighting as well when we talk about sports movies, and in particular, Nobody has set the bar quite like the ESPN 30 for 30 films, which are an amazing collection of movies on sports topics and and memories that are some that are or were sometimes in the public eye and are now getting a new appreciation, a, a new appreciation or a new perspective. Like for instance, the sweeping, critically acclaimed Oscar winning documentary oj made in america which was so incredibly deep and thought out with being five parts to it 
Um, or, or they can, they sometimes get into more minute stories that have maybe not been quite as told. One that comes to mind, um, where the, is a story on the spirit of St. Louis, uh, basketball team from the old ABA days. Um, that's one that, that really comes to mind. Um, so you, you get a wide range when it comes to, to movies and, and that are of the sports documentary genre and what you can get into with them. You know, one of the things you brought about earlier is that it's a story being told on the court. It's a story being told on the field, and you're absolutely right about that. But it's also about the people around it and beyond that. It's um, they, for recent one of the more recent ones that comes to mind was actually a pro wrestling one. Andre the Giant had a documentary on HBO, very much in the vein of you know, Thirty for Thirty on ESPN. That was an exceptionally well done, also. I mean, it, and it wasn't just about what he did in the ring; it was about this athlete himself who was seven foot something, seven foot six. I mean, you can imagine what a life that would be to live. Yeah. Things you take for Just granted. Just incredibly large man. Things yeah. that you take for granted. How are you going to use the toilet in a hotel? I mean, if you're that size, your simple question is, you don't. You have to use other ways. I mean, just things like that that you don't think about that are like, wow, blowing your mind and making a, an iconic figure human. And that is a big part of what those documentaries are for. And that is very much what is the essence of any movie is and to it, bring you into it. And any sports movie. Yeah. You know, we've, we've talked about that, how it's the human element and a lot of what's away from the game itself. Yeah, and, that, and that's what sports documentaries really tap into quite a bit is getting into those kinds of elements and, and the stories behind what you see out on the court or out on the field. I... I highly recommend so many of the the thirty for thirty films. My favorite one is is probably um, is probably Survive in Advance, which is on the the nineteen eighty three NC State Wolfpack run to the NCAA title um, in men's college basketball with Jim Valvano as head coach. They had that incredible victory that they had in the national championship game, but then it also talks about. Jimmy V's fight with cancer and and about that team and the bond that was created within that team that that lasted well beyond just that season but there are so many other stories that that they have gotten into and that they are getting into they just released one on on Bobby Knight the last days of him as head coach of of Indiana they've got one that's coming out um here in in the next couple of days that's called 42 to 1 it's the story of of Buster Douglas or not Buster Douglas of um uh, wait, yeah, it is Buster Douglas of his victory over Mike Tyson, which was a stunning upset, absolutely stunning upset. That's why it's called forty-two to one. Those are the, the odds. Those were the odds that he had coming into it, and yet Douglas was still able to take him down. Yeah. So amazing stories that that come from these sports documentaries and ESPN. For all that I have, that I that I think critically of them, that I wish they would do better. Their thirty for thirty movies are second to none. And another thing that can tie into a documentary is something we've touched on before in a different topic was, you know, when you take a historically based thing and you present it in a way almost like a documentary, but it does take some liberties. For example, The Blind Side comes to mind. Yeah. Michael Orr coming up, uh, you know, he's, he's he's starting to wind down his NFL career, but that's what happens. Um, not all of the movie is completely factual, but I mean, 
what has been said is, well, well, this never happened this way, and that never happened ever. What they are saying is that they got the spirit of what did happen right, you know. And that's one of the things you have to keep in mind when it comes down to a movie like even Miracle. It's not completely accurate, but it's pretty darn close. But it has the spirit down, and that's kind of the point of a movie. You might have 12 different characters that all kind of did the same thing. Well, maybe for a narrative, you boil them down into one character, so it's easier to follow. The same reason that baseball works so well as a movie, it's not, you know, when the play gets the ball gets hiked, you get 100 guys all running at once. It's hard to follow every individual effort, so you boil some of them down into yeah. one. That kind of thing. It, it, you could look at it documentarily, but with a liberty taken for an easier narrative, something along those lines, or something more dynamic. When they tell the Hoove life story, Hoove got up and made toast this morning. That's really awesome. Let's cut that scene. Well, but that's what happened. Yeah, but we're going to cut it because it's not dramatic. Right. That stuff happens. And so for The Blind Side or Miracle or any of those movies that are told very much documentarian, you know, it was cooler when Rocky just poured raw eggs into the glass and drank them. You know, (laughs) that was cool because people are like, what? Well, speaking of talking about Miracle in a documentarian way with, with a lot of the drama added in and you find those dramatic elements, when it, speaking of that particular story, 30 for 30 did a really neat piece on the flip side, on the Soviet side of that loss that in the 1980 Miracle game. One. Yeah, really, really neat because they go through the dynasty. They talk about how the Soviet hockey program was built into the incredible dynasty that it was and what made them so good. Really neat angle and another story, another side of that story. We only ever see the American side of it. It was neat to see the Soviet side and to see just how did they become that powerhouse and why was it such a big deal so that old, the U.S. won. See, I'm old enough to remember when some of the Soviets were allowed to start coming over here and playing in the NHL, and this is following the Miracle on Ice and then, of course, the Soviet breakup. Some of those guys that were playing for various NHL teams were on that Soviet team that lost to the Americans in the 80s semifinal Miracle on Ice game. And they're finally not under state control to what they can and can't say, and they would respond. I mean, in the USSR, when that game happened, it was like, oh, just kind of buried. It never really said much about it. Here was the opposite. It was everywhere. But the shame, you know, Creed too probably plays a lot into this. The shame that was on those guys, that was not only expected, it was, you know, a given that these guys were going to not only win, but were going to win the gold very, again. Very predictive there for Creed too. Oh, yeah. Dave, there's, a par- there's a parallel there. Easy. But the, a lot of these guys had a lot of shame put on them that yes. was unjust, I think. But it was what happened. And to hear these guys really tell their story, not just in an interview when they could finally be interviewed by ESPN after you know the Canucks game or whatever, but to hear about it in the documentary, that's a very interesting perspective. All right, Dave, before we wrap up talking sports movies here on the podcast, I need to hear what are your two or three favorite sports movies? Can you really differentiate a couple of movies from the pack? Yeah, I've got the one that is my all-time favorite, but I can give you some honorable mentions. Like I said, I'm very fond of Rocky 3 and 4 in particular. Maybe it was just the overhype that tied in at the time, but it it grabbed my youthfulness. Maybe call it biased probably, but hey, Rocky 3 was the first one I ever saw, so that's up there, you know, and Mr. T was a pop culture icon at the time, and Hulk Hogan was in it, and it just it just kind of worked. Um, that might have a reason to do with it. I love the movie Field of Dreams. It is one that I will watch often. I'm a big fan of that one. Um, I haven't been able to watch it in the that last... That one makes grown men cry. It's I amazing. haven't been able to watch it since my dad died, since for that reason. Same reason as Big Fish. Can't watch that one just yet, but I'll get there. 
And that's not a sports movie, but you get the idea. Yes. Um, and there's a couple others that come up. Mighty Ducks is another favorite. I mean, I remember you know being a part of that one, and it was fun. But the one that takes the cake is for me, Major League. It's a it's one that people really that you, one you love the comedy though. It's, it's not just the comedy. I mean, a lot of what makes a sport really fun to be a part of is the people you're with, the camaraderie that's in the locker room that a lot of times you don't get to see. You know, a couple of years ago when Tory Hunter came back with the Twins, he brought in the whole when we win we dance, and he brought in all this dance machine stuff, fog machine, strobe lights, and sports reporters were not allowed in the in the locker room after the game for like an hour, which is unusual. And then it started to leak out that oh they're having a dance party that's why they're not allowed in and it became its own thing things like that that happen whether it's you have some voodoo guy peering to a little doll thing and him having a sort of a holy war or the very i mean weird things like that whether it's the rookie versus the senior veteran whether you know all this stuff it all piled into that movie in all kinds of different ways it was colorful it was unique it was fun it was funny but i think from an athlete standpoint, um, just from the fun of being there, whether leaving athletic skill aside, that's kind of what makes sports fun. It's, you know, if you yeah. if you're good or you're not good is almost irrelevant. Are you having a good time? Is there something fun that you're going to take away from it? That is a movie that just kind of it grabs me in a lot of ways. And so, I Major League, the original, 1989, even though I do not like Charlie Sheen, is a really good movie. Yeah, my personal favorite. All right. Yeah. Miracles on the is on the especially honor list too. Yes. Miracle is in the mix for me as one of my honorable mentions. If I would have to go with like two or three movies, Miracle is in the mix that would be around very close. One that I love, especially since I'm a soccer guy, is is and soccer does Lady not bugs. get soccer does not get into <laughs> film very much. You have the big green, there's Bend It Like Beckham, you have movies like that, but Goal the Dream Begins is one that me and my brothers we grew up watching. We love that with this this guy, Santiago Munez. He's he he and his family go from Mexico to the United States when he's a kid, and then he starts out in LA. He gets a trial with Newcastle United in England and then goes over there and links up with them. A lot of great cameos in that movie. Really awesome cameos that they have in that movie. And and it's it for soccer fans, for, for soccer people, that's like our movie. It's like, yeah, that's our movie. That's they they did a pretty good job with it. Anna Friel is in that movie too. Um Kuno Becker plays uh Santiago. It's it, it's a good movie and it's one that soccer people really enjoy a lot because it's like that's our movie. So that's in the mix as well for me. I love Rocky and I love Creed because those movies have that grassroots element to them of how do you become the best? You've got to work from the ground up as an underdog, and this is kind of where you begin. For Rocky, it's as a nobody. For Creed, it's making his own legacy in the shadow of his father, and Creed too builds upon that a little bit as well. Um, but I, I love that element to it, and that they did that they did it in Philadelphia as well. And and Creed really plays on that in a in a cool way with its own twist. But Rocky. That grassroots nature of it, it's it's really appealing when they do that. And I see so many of those places, and I'm like, I've been there. I've lived there. It's it's really cool. For those of you that don't that. know, you may have heard his accent. Hoove is from just outside Philadelphia. Yeah, I lived. An That's a, home. I grew up an hour to the west, but I did live in Philadelphia, the city itself, for a year when I was in college. So it's it, it 
it gives extra meaning when I see when I see Rocky and and just the inspirational stuff that that they have in the movie too. I, I um, get it. If I wasn't from Minnesota, maybe the Mighty Ducks would lean a little less. Right. I get you. I'm not from Minnesota, and yeah, I love that element about the Mighty Ducks. I I think it's really cool. But there are two sports movies that really stand out above the rest for me. The first is Chariots of Fire. I love Chariots of Fire. Running movies are in the mix sometimes Rarely. in terms of what they Not do. Not a lot like, of track and field movies. Yeah, there's there's one that, that was just that just recently came out um oh a couple of years ago. It was uh I I need to look this up quick. Is this back to school where uh where Thornton Mellon does the triple lending? McFarland diving? USA oh, was that's what it right. was. McFarland right. USA, which is another Kevin Costner movie. That's well, part. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, and it, since he's the coach in that one, but another running movie. And running movies have have some really interesting, um, some really interesting elements to them because there it's you're on your own. Yeah, you know, that's what makes a movie like that interesting. That's what makes a a tennis movie really interesting. That you're on your own kind of element. Chariots of Fire is great because it's based on the real life stories of Harold Abrahams and Eric Little. And and their own particular methods of motivation and the way that they were rivals and competitors with each other, but motivated by deeper things. And and I really love the movie for that element. Eric Little is is somebody who I look up to just in my own walk of faith, um, with the way that he ran with great purpose and lived his life with great purpose. Um, a lot of great lines. The music, of course, is what many pop church. yeah, what many know from that movie is is the music with the great theme and and the montage there off the open. But I love the movie itself. It's more than just the theme. It's a great movie in many ways. But Hoosiers is my favorite sports movie, and I don't know if it's ever going to be touched in that regard because Hoosiers is a love letter to high school sports and what's. All the elements of high school sports, and I love Hoosiers too because it is a it is a great movie about second chances too. Yeah, and that's kind of the theme throughout the movie is second chances, and you see that manifest itself with Gene Hackman's um, coach Norman Dale and and the way he tries to give people like like Shooter Flatch a second chance uh, with with helping him coach the team. Do you see a parallel with that and Gene Hackman and his other movie, The Replacements, and Dump and Second Chances? I just picked that up just a well, second. Well, yeah, you can, you can tie that in. Yeah, it. but but it's a movie that's about those. And for this team that's not very good and, and the way he, he tries to give them a second chance and a lift and for the these kids trying to, to build them up a little bit from where they are to where they could be and having to deal with town politics. How often do you see that in high school sports? Sadly, it is still the case today, but town politics, parent politics, you see all of those things on display within that movie and how Norman Dale is trying to fight against that. And in the midst of it all, there's the star player, Jimmy Chitwood, who he decides to soldier on without. And yet Jimmy decides then after, after Norman shows him a little bit of, a little bit of care, but says, you know what? We're going to play on even without you, you make your own decision. And then he, he gets into the mix and decides, you know what? I'm going to play ball, but coach has to stay. And then they get on that run, and, and and then it builds toward a really terrific finale. It's pretty well filmed too. They got they got some guys who, a few of them who knew how to play some ball a little bit, and it's cool too because it's a 1980s movie that goes back to the 1950s in terms of 
the game itself, and it's based on the true story of, of Milan High School, this tiny high school from Indiana winning the state tournament back when it was one class in Indiana, and they went all the way. Um, it's a great story, and it's a great tale of high school sports and all the different intricacies, but it's a big reason reminding me of why I love high school sports. Just it's one those, of the great those intricacies. But you know, it gets a short change because you flip channels and you'll land on a lot of the movies we've already talked about. I can't tell you the last time I was flipping around and saw Hoosiers was on, on anything. I mean, you just don't see it unless you rent it or have it. When was the last time anyone saw it? You know, that's a crime. It needs to, if it's, if it's one of the greats, and it is, it needs to pop up every yeah. so often. Every, like, every other year it should be up on ESPN Classics or something, but it isn't. Somewhere, yeah. Well, one cool thing that got tied into the NBA with Hoosiers was last year when they started doing special jerseys, NBA teams yeah. were able to get some extra jerseys. Uh, last year with the new deal they did with Nike, the Indiana Pacers had a Hickory Huskers jersey. One of their alternate jerseys was a Hickory Huskers one that was maroon with gold shorts, and it was just awesome. Nah, they they did it right. Yeah. Do we have time for one more? Well, yeah, sure. Something just occurred to me as a, a subtopic that we kind of missed on. A sports movie made for the athletes themselves. Now, there's only one I can think of, and you can – debate whether this is a true sto- sport or not. Pro wrestling. It's not really a sport because it's predetermined, but you got to say that what's happening in the ring is real. You do get hit. You do get hit with a chair. You do. Get- you have a lot of these guys that die young, and there's reasons for that, whether it's drug addiction or whether it's you know repeated blows to the head and all kinds of things. These guys are, in some cases, worse shape than other actual athletes that are out there really competing. So a bunch of years ago, they did a movie called The Wrestler. With Mickey, yes, yeah, with, with you know, it, it was a fantastic movie. Mickey Rourke. Mickey right? Rourke was in it, and uh, this was to the point where now you got to keep this in mind. Back in the day, there was a thing in wrestling called kayfabe, which is basically a code amongst the wrestlers where we're going to keep what you see on TV in real life. So if you're the good guy and I'm the bad guy, we don't ride in the car together. You know, we don't acknowledge that after the match we're beating each other up. We got our arms around each other. We're best friends, and you know, I'm God's son to your. They're kid. taking the con. Into oh real yeah, life. it's real because it has to be. You have to yeah. suspend disbelief. So these are guys in real life that lived this code, that saw this movie, and broke down in tears and supported the movie and supported the actor and said, "Mickey just nailed this. You know, this is a movie for us." Whether pro wrestling you look at is considered to be a sport or an inter- sports entertainment, they call it, or whatever the case, all are valid complaints or, or debates. You know, I don't think there's a correct answer to it. But it, what happens is real. You know, the, deter- the, ter- you know the, the end result is determined, but what happens between there and then, it is real to an extent. And the punishment these guys go through is arguably more grueling than any other pro athlete. These guys are wrestling every night, pretty much, or at least back in the day they were. And to see them broken down and still trying to keep going, you can see a parallel there and between the methods that and of trying to keep going. All yeah. that too. I mean, you can also see you know parallels between what's going on there and an actual real sports sports where people are broken down shells of their former self, still trying to make it work. Their body's broken down and they're still trying to go. How are you going to make a living? How are you going to pay the gas bill? All of that, you know. But the wrestler is almost a sports movie for the athletes themselves, regardless of what sport it is. What do you do when it's over? Yeah. You know, there aren't a lot of movies about that either, and this one kind of is. I have not gotten to see The Wrestler, but I've heard a lot along those lines of just how how much of a reflection that is of the behind 
the sport or what's next element to it as well. And and especially when it comes to the pro wrestling side of things where you've got to keep the con up when you're going beyond the the game. You've got to really keep that going. And I I like to to talk about the real life drama that takes place in in sports. I like to think of the NBA as being a real life soap opera in some ways with what plays out there and how they how you have these storylines that just continue into real life there too. But pro wrestling it really is a continuation. It's an ongoing story, and you get that element that comes with it too. And Particular, the wrestler reflected that. Particularly back in the day, it was more of a circus than it was a sport. You know, you had all these colorful guys in real life with huge personalities. Whether the, what happened in front of people on the ring was determined or not, it didn't matter. I mean, it was you're fighting for survival, not just in the ring, but behind the scenes too. It's a little different these days now, but uh, I mean, what a it's not like that in any other sport, you know. There's there's no agencies, there's no unions, there's none of that. When you're no longer of use, you're done, you're gone, and you're out, and you're on your own, literally. Um, and sometimes we're finding that, you know, the Ocho Cinco's of the world, you know, they're running out of money now. They've been living yeah. lavishly, thinking they're going to get paychecks like that their whole life. Guys like him are going to start going down the road of people in the wrestler. So that's whether it's pro wrestling or not pro wrestling. It kind of tells a behind the scenes story of a lot of those guys. Look at Derek Bugard from the NHL from the Wild. He was the big enforcer that got hooked on prescription medication because yeah. of all the pain from all the fights, and it cost him his life early. You know, it had a direct impact on it. It's it's an under not to end the podcast on a lower note, but it, it does tell a story that is almost as important as the glory stories too. Well, concussion just recently with yeah. Will Smith was a similar one talking about that on the football side of things. Yeah, and just in general in sports. So, yeah, a lot of really interesting elements that go into sports movies and that sports movies can reach into whether it's on the field or off the field. Elements that are sports topically related or more world topic related. Sports are a microcosm of life is a phrase that I have heard for so long and that's kind of something that I have spoken to for so long is that sports are a microcosm of life and in many ways sports movies are a microcosm of movies and a microcosm of bigger tales and stories that come and bigger themes that come through the playing of said sport itself. And when they're done well, wow. Yes, they can be they pretty almost, spectacular. They almost stand the test of time better than anything else in a way. Many have. Yeah. Yeah. Many of the ones that we really enjoy are similar in and that they way. Could, and they could tell a story about more than just what's on ice. You know, let me look at Miracle. I mean, it tells a lot of different stories all in one game. It's amazing how it's able to do that. And I can't think of a lot of other genres of movies that that is the possibility or the case. It's it's a unique subgenre that I don't know how else to classify it. Sports, drama, comedy, action. Yes to all three. It's got it all. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just across from the Bemidji Airport. Another good round of the podcast today, Dave. Really great. Knocked it out of the park. Who if we did? I'd say we did. Slap shot! Yep. They ought to give us a trophy for that or something. Let's spike this thing. I don't know. Maybe a personal trophy or something. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Cassell-Brooks. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you at the movies.